All right, folks, here we are again, an idiot and an expert podcast, episode 14. My name's Calcio Joe. I'm here, of course, with my co-host, Claudio Perfetto. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, him at CPerfetto11, myself, myself at Calcio Joe 5 um, and most importantly, the uh, podcast Twitter handle at IdiotExpertPod. Um, and we, we bring you something new this week. Uh, we are now, and by the time you're listening to this, we will now be available on SoundCloud. You can find us soundcloud.com slash idiot expert pod. Again, that's soundcloud.com slash idiot expert pod. Uh, now that I've handled uh, all of those aspects of the show, I welcome in uh, Claudio. Claude, how are you? Doing well. Thank you to the the guy who made the request to be on SoundCloud. Yeah, we would have never. We honestly, we would have never done it. Uh, I'll be a hundred percent honest. Uh, we just didn't even think about it. Um, but, but you know, thank you for our, our loyal. Thank listeners. you for pushing, Joe. Yes, exactly. Uh, because that one tweet, um, you know, really changed destiny. It, you know, we had we had no idea uh, that it was even available. I didn't. Uh, I looked into it. Did it pretty quickly. So, uh, so thank you. And also. Uh, you know, while we're on the topic uh, of uh, thanking our, our listeners, um, I want to thank the guy who tweeted at us, um, tweeted at me specifically, um, and informed me that the symbol I was talking about was a pound and not a euro. Um, and he gave a very, very well-informed, thorough explanation and answer. And you don't find that on social media very often. So hats off to that guy. It was very polite. Yeah, very, very and polite. And he didn't make fun one, of me for not knowing. That was great. Thank you. Right. And one person was not polite and that with me for retweeting the uh, Jose Mourinho joke. So, but any type of feedback is good feedback, right? So, well, so someone was upset with you with that. Yeah. Yeah. He replied to our comment on. Um, to our to our post about Josie Mourinho, put some respect on my name. Yeah, yeah. So what did he say? Was he the the, the he lost the the pitch guy? I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure exactly what he was upset about. I couldn't really understand it too well, but he was definitely not happy with me. So I, I you know, got I, that from it. That's actually a nice segue uh, to our first topic of the show. We'll start with the EPL. Uh, week three just closed out. Um, Man U Tottenham. Tottenham took the game three to nothing. Uh, at this point, Man U's in a full-out spiral, um, and it was showcased by the Jose Mourinho show afterwards. Um, and that tweet that we're talking about uh, was kind of making fun of the uh, post-game press conference, and we'll get to that in a bit. Um, let's start off first with the game and this spiral uh, that Man U is in. We talked about it last week. Um, that they were playing well below expectations. They continue going <laughs> well below expectations. Uh, you know, this is a team, I believe, that came in second place last uh, last year. Um, and right now, currently, they're ranked 13th. Um, so, you know, this is a, uh, a fall from grace uh, if, uh, you know, if you, yeah. you would ever have one. <laughs> and a fun fact for you. So he's Portuguese. So the... Jose is actually Jose. Jose. If you, ever okay. hear, if you ever hear Ronaldo say Juve, he says Juve because they pronounce the J. So that's a fun fact for 
for you, Joe, who maybe you're not familiar with Portuguese too, too much. Definitely but not. Um, I don't know what pounds are. Uh, I barely know what the euro symbol is. I have no idea about Portuguese. Um, but I will tell you about good pizza. So. Yeah, well, that, that's the more important thing, I guess. But anyway, <laughs> back to back to Man United. Yeah, I mean, it was a tough game. They played Tottenham. Um, and a lot of the chatter around this, especially from Man United fans, so there's like two camps of them, the camp that doesn't like Jose Mourinho and wants to see him gone, and then there's the other camp who doesn't like Ed Woodward, who is their, uh, I guess, in charge of the club, you could say. Mm. Um, and they've had issues all summer because Jose Mourinho wa- wanted more signings. He said, if I'm going to compete with the best in the Premier League, I need more players than the ones that I already have. I need better players. Uh, Man United was very quiet on the transfer market. They didn't really sign anybody except for Fred, uh, you know, the, the midfielder who's been playing. But they didn't make any other significant signings, which was a problem for Jose Mourinho. And there's a lot of friction at the club. My thing is they played Tottenham, who yeah. literally didn't make any moves this summer and beat them 3 nothing. So if you're playing Man City or Chelsea or you know Arsenal, Liverpool, teams that made some signings, although Man City didn't really make any either, if you're playing one of those teams who made a lot of signings, then I can understand the excuse. But when you're playing a team that did not add a single player to their squad, how could you use that as an excuse? I mean, this is a team that just well, that beat you at home, embarrassed you, really. I mean, let's talk about this for a second. And I think it's interesting, obviously, um, for new listeners. Uh, I'm new to international soccer and the English League and the Italian League. Um, obviously, more of a fan of, of American sports. Um, in American sports, I don't know if it's just the culture or, or what... I don't know what the difference is between European sports and American sports, but a coach never complains about the team that they have. Um, pretty much the roster is the roster and you deal with it. Um, I, I, but I'm finding more and more as we delve in weeks in, um, I'm finding this, you know, Jose Mourinho is not the only European manager that, that takes this route. If he's disgruntled and unhappy with the moves that his team has made, he makes it very known and apparent within the media. Yeah. I mean, the difference I guess is specifically in the premier league. It's so hard to compete every year because so many teams are making significant amount of signings. They're spending a significant amount of money. So what he's saying is how can I compete? to win this thing if we're not making investment when the other teams around us are. And yeah, I mean, the, they're not really only coaches, I guess they, they, I mean, they are in a sense, because if a lot of the, the, the rumblings that you hear, like with Mourinho, with Conti last year at Chelsea is that they're upset with the clubs for not purchasing the players that they want or as many players as they think they but need. It, but is it not their job to coach what they have and to elevate the game of the players that they have in front of them? Well, I mean, you know, I would say that... Speaking, develop a strategy that that beats the other team. I would say this, though. In, in American sports, in the NBA, uh, NFL, whatever the, the sport is, MLB the coach is only coaching the team that's definitely true but i think the expectations are 
different, you know, based on the team that you're coaching. So, you know, like if you're coaching the Warriors, you're expected to win the championship. And if Steve Kerr started out 500 or below 500, I mean, they might give him an opportunity now because of what he's accomplished over the past, you know, three or four years. But um, if, you know, it wasn't Steve Kerr and, and it was a team that had a lot of uh, high expectation of, of winning a title or something, you know, the ownership would fire them. But my point is that in soccer, in, in England in particular, there's a very short leash with the coaches. So, you know, you can't have it both ways where the club is saying, we're not going to give you the best players and, and we're not going to compete in, in terms of transfers with the other clubs. But, you know, you still have to go out and win the title. So I think yeah. that's that's where the uh, the argument comes from. So this is what, it, what I'm feeling and sensing when I look at the situation. I see uh, a successful coach manager um, who kind of sees the writing on the wall. Um, he's feeling pressure from a, a feverish fan base, um, and he's trying to get out in front of the story, basically – throwing his, his board and his leadership under the bus saying, this isn't on me. This isn't on my coaching record. This is on you guys for not giving me the players that I need. Is that a fair, a fair 100%, something? 100%. He's, he's basically auditioning for his next job. You know, he, that's, that's pretty much what he's doing. That's if you're, what he's doing. If you're, but if you're a Man U fan, aren't you upset by that? You should be. I mean, I don't – exactly. That's the thing. You know, I don't think – that you could blame a lack of signings for lo- for starting the season the way he did. You know, if you want to tell me at the end of the year, after 38 games, that you didn't win the title because, you know, you didn't have the same quality of a team that, you know, Man- Manchester City has or Liverpool has or or Chelsea has, and that's because, you know, you didn't go out as the board or the general manager and sign the players that were necessary. You know, I could buy that. But when you're three games into the season and, you know, you've lost a couple of games that are just embarrassing, quite frankly, um, you know, you, you, how could you blame that on on lack of signings? You know, that's it's one game, you know, at home against Tottenham, against a team that, didn't make any signings. So you played them twice last year. You know everything about this team. You know who's on the team. You know how they play. You know who the coach is. They literally changed nothing. So how is a lack of signings an excuse against a team like that? It just it, that I don't buy. You know, if you want to, you know, protect them over the course of a year and say they couldn't win the title because of it, I get it. But you know, one game, it, it's it, it was his fault. It has to be down to the coach. Yeah. And I mean, even further to pile on, if I'm a Manchester United fan, I'm furious because, you know, in American sports, we always talk about having command of the room and the room being the locker room, um, having the respect of your players and having the players play for you. Uh, Jose Mourinho at this point has basically said, I'm looking for a different job now. I'm auditioning, like you, you alluded to, I'm auditioning for other jobs. If you're one of the players in that room, now you know your coach isn't, doesn't have your back. He's basically saying the guys that I have in the room aren't enough already. And, yeah. this, and this year is basically a, a throwaway year, three games into the season. Well, that's a big part of the problem too is, is there, his style of coaching and his style of play always, wherever he's been, 
except for Inter, has been it wears down on the players. And right now, all of the rumors point to the fact that the players don't like him. You know, the players don't like him. They're not getting along with him because he throws them under the bus, you know, he, the way he treats them. So the players do not have his back right now. And mentally, that's having a big impact on the team as well. So, you know, he's, I just don't see him lasting too much longer. And then how about the, the whole spin zone thing in the press conference? Oh, that was, that was, that was a, you know, um, I, I wanted to get into this and it, I thought it was a, I mean, say what you will, if you're a man, you fan about the guy as a coach and, and what he's doing to your team right now, but he is pure entertainment. Oh, I love the move. Three nil. We, we lost three nothing. That also means three premier league championships. <laughs> I have. Like what does it have to do with anything? It makes, it made no sense. And, um, you I know, mean, the, the, the Birdman comparison is, is, Dead on. Yeah. He basically said, "Put some respect on my name." Yeah, he um, said, "Respect, man. Respect. <laughs> have some respect, man." Which is hilarious. I mean, that made me like him. Not gonna lie, it, it actually made <laughs> me like him a little bit. I I love the spin zone there, but um, you know, he's he's dead man walking at this point. Unless, so you know, would you, um, nice if run. you're the board, how how much longer do you let this go on? Uh, you know, not much. I think it's uh, it's not gonna get better. I just. Once your relationship with the players deteriorates, you know how it is in any sport. It's very yep. hard to come back from that. It just it just is. And this isn't like the NBA where last year at the trade deadline, the Cavaliers traded half of their team for new players and, and tried something different. Like you, he's stuck with this group of players and they're stuck with him. So something's gonna have to have to give. And um, you know, in soccer, really all signs point to the coach because that's the easiest thing to change. And, the, you know, the year is in its infancy stages. I know, obviously, in soccer um, and even in the, you know, more so in the, in the Premier League, um, every week is a must-win situation. I understand that. Um, but you're only three weeks in. You bite the bullet. Let's just say you make a move after the sixth week or the fifth week. You're only five or six weeks in. You still have a good portion of your year left, and you could salvage it. And even on top of that, when you usually when you get rid of a coach mid-year uh, or even in the beginning of the year, um, you will gain some momentum afterwards. You'll have that interim coach come in, and players will want to play uh, for him or her, and um, you know you'll you'll catch a little bit of a spark, if you will. So you know I think there's definitely there's definitely time. That, you know the year's not over yet for them. No, it's not. And look, the team has a lot of quality they're very very good players on that team and you know they're gonna have to do something because like you said the year's not over but you know once you start falling six nine points behind of the of the the top team it's very difficult to come back from that and and then you know the one thing they have to really worry about is falling behind the race for the top four in a Champions League spot because Manchester United absolutely expects to be in the Champions League every single year. It's unacceptable for them not to be. I mean, they literally are the richest club on earth. So they have to be in the Champions League. They have the money, they have the resources, they have everything necessary to be in that competition. So they don't want to risk falling too far behind the race for, for fourth place. So that's a perfect segue, um, and we'll get back to the rest of the EPL's action in week three. 
But what we have been wanting to do every week is take a new team for a novice fan um, and just take a look at the team. And, you know, uh, Claudio and myself, we don't have English teams that we support. Um, we're going to investigate all the teams, uh, weigh the pros and cons of, of which, and then we're going to make a decision on what team we will give support to um, moving forward. And it just so happens that the team this week is Manchester United. Obviously, we discussed the, the manager being, or at least for now, Jose Mourinho. Um, they play in Old Trafford, um, nicknamed the Red Devils. And as uh, Claudio pointed out, they are the richest team, I think, in the world at this point, valued at $3.1 billion. Um, and the most interesting thing that I find with this is that you can buy stock in them on the New York Stock Exchange. Their yeah. their their ticker their ticker name is M A N U Manu. That's pretty good. Um, and as of today, it's twenty five forty a share. Um, so you know that kind of blew my mind. So I you know I kind of like that that you can kind of buy a little bit of the team. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know if you'd want to buy right now. Maybe because if you maybe you could buy low if anything, but. <laughs> Uh, it is very interesting. More and more teams are doing it, so it's uh, it's a very smart move, and it certainly helped their their valuation and getting to the point where they are probably the 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 most wealthy soccer club. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and not only are they the most the one of the wealthiest, but they're they're one of the most time honored uh, twenty league titles, um, three UEFA Champions Leagues um ton of ton of other awards as well um very well decorated um and you know for again for novice fans um this team was actually owned by um before it was taken public so the the holding company now is manchester united plc uh, so that's the that's the big ownership group that owns them now um but it was brought public by the previous owner Malcolm Glazer, who also owns the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or owned uh, when he was alive, he passed in 2014. Now his sons run the team, um, so there is an American connection. Uh, if you were interested in rooting uh, for a team that had an American connection, yeah. And now, so as we go into the pros and cons of rooting for them, the fact that they're owned by Americans could be a con, and I say that because. You know what it's what it's about here in American sports. It's what making money. Care about? It. The owners care about making money. That's what they care about. In in European sports and European soccer, it usually is not really mostly about the bottom line. It's about winning. So English fans have a very tough time with that mentality. So that was a, that was so, a question I was going to ask you: is is it well received to have an American owner in England or in Italy? No, I think that right now the the perception is that you have a, a family like the Glazer family, you have a family that owns Arsenal like the Cranky family, you know, you have a, a family uh, like the Henry family that owns Liverpool. The perception is that these guys care about the bottom line. So, for example, Arsenal, a lot of the fans wanted their coach, their former coach, Arsene Wenger, out years ago, but Cranky never never let go of him. And why? Look at the parallels to Jeff Fisher on the Rams. You know, the guy was just content with being mediocre, but 
they were making a lot of money. He was moving to LA. Same thing with with Wenger. You know, he was a good coach. He was a safe bet. He wasn't going to win the Premier League title for them, but you know what? He was going to get them close to the top four every year, and they were going to make money. So that you have a similar situation here in Manchester United, where you know maybe the they didn't make any signings because they didn't want to spend the money because they were happy with the bottom line and they were happy with the money that they had in their pocket and they were like look you know we think the team is good enough to compete we don't care about winning you know we just want to compete and make our money and that's maybe why you know this is all speculation but that maybe that's why they didn't sign any ridiculous players you know over the course of the summer well i mean i think the coach's point that (coughs) that you're talking about makes a lot of sense um, because, you know, Jeff Fisher example, years and years of going eight and eight. Um, but at the end of the day, he was one of the higher paid coaches in the league. Um, and at least in the NFL, not sure. I mean, I imagine it's the same way in English soccer is that it's guaranteed money, uh, guaranteed contracts with these managers. So you have to pay it, uh, no matter what. So if you're in a contract for five years with the coach at, $20 million. Um, are you really going to take that, that, uh, you know, deal with that $20 million that are still on the hook and then bring in another coach that you have to pay 5 million or 10 million a year afterwards. Um, no. so, I mean, it makes a lot of sense for why they would want to hold uh, American owners, uh, have a propensity to hold on to the players, uh, rather the coaches, um, because they don't want to pay two salaries. Exactly. And that's really why, if you look early in the year with Chelsea, that's why they took forever to sign uh, Sadi from Napoli because they had a deal with the, the Antonio Conte situation. And, they, and Conte had like a huge buyout in his contract, so they didn't want to to just fire him and pay him that buyout. So they were trying to like rectify, get him to quit maybe, but he was smart. He was like, I'm not quitting, you know, fire me and pay me yeah. my money and, and I'll go on my merry way. So yeah, the, the contracts are guaranteed and uh, that's a major, a major problem. But, you know, as for the team themselves, if you're interested in rooting for them, there's uh, Manchester United. That is, there's uh, a lot of positives. Like you said, they're very, they're a storied club. They have a great, great stadium in Old Trafford. It's very historic. It's a uh, very, um, uh, intimidating. It used to be a very tough place to. Um, they they win a bunch. They have great players. Just won the World Cup for France. Your guy Romelu Lukaku. Um, great plays player. for them as a striker. Uh, so he's obviously very very talented. And they have a bunch of bunch of talented players and young players. So and, and they're one of the they're definitely the English club, one of the best known clubs in the world. So it would be like rooting for the Yankees or the Cowboys. They're in the England's team, right? So, so they have a lot of people that love them and they have a lot of people that hate them. Would that be exactly. a fair assessment? Interesting. That's definitely a fair assessment. Interesting. Yep. So, you know, we have some pros and cons. I'll weigh it. Uh, I have to say I'm weighing a little bit more towards Man U over Chelsea, who we talked about last week. Um, Interesting. Just because I kind of like that history behind it obviously i'm a yankees fan so i appreciate that um that that great history uh that goes along with it and i like the idea you know like that i was just talking about about um you know many will love them and even more will hate them uh so you know you have people that will 
almost cheer a man you lost more than they would for their favorite team's win. Right. Would that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're the wants to be, you know, you like you said, you're either for them, you're against them. So there's no, no in between, you know, no, there's nobody in England that's a fan of, uh, Chelsea or Liverpool and, you know, could tolerate Manchester United. Absolutely. All right. So, you know, that's the pros and cons. Uh, that's a little inside look um, into Man U for this week for any novice fan. Um, obviously, let us know your feedback. What's the reasons why you either root for or root against uh, Ma- Manchester United? Um, at Idiot Expert Pod is our Twitter handle. Shoot us a, a message. Uh, and let us know. Um, getting back to week three of the EPL, um, a game that stood out to me, uh, and it's just because it was more so, I think, shocking, and I could be totally wrong because I don't really know much about the sport, um, but Man City and, and Wolves, 1-1. One, one. Um, first yeah. off, who the hell is Wolves? Um, why, is that an, why is that the name of the team? And two, I thought Man City was supposed to run away with this thing. Well, they are, but and back to your point about wolves. So they're Wolverhampton Wanderers, but Wolverhampton they they call them the Wolves. Ah, there they're, we go. They're a very interesting team. They um, just came up to the Premier League this year after a few years down in the second division, and um, they have they're owned or something by. Uh, Jorge Mendez, who George Mendez, who is actually Ronaldo's agent, and he's the agent of a ton of players, and like <laughs> he has some sort of ownership. <laughs> yeah, some sort of like ownership or interest in the team or something. And you know, they have a lot of money for a team that just came back up to the Premier League. They signed a ton of players, they spent a lot of money. So it wasn't um going to be a very easy game for man city but i would have expected them to win and they didn't and this kind of opens the door for a lot of teams because it's it's kind of like you know the first punch in the mouth to manchester city and i think it's opening the you know and the eyes of a lot of teams that are chasing especially liverpool but i thought the reason that you know they're such a prohibitive favorite to repeat is because they have so much depth um, and it would allow them for games like this where they're going to take a step, you know, not really give it, give it their all, uh, play some of their backups for them to still, you know, come out ahead because they're so deep. Yeah, they should. I mean, it was just a bad game from them. You know, it was just, uh, that's the way it goes sometimes. I don't know. You know what? I'm sure their coach, uh, Pep Guardiola is not happy about it. You know, he probably sees it as a very, very, bad uh tie it wasn't it wasn't a loss it was a tie but um and these are the types of games that they should be winning and they did win last year that's why they kind of ran away with the league and and blew everybody out like you're saying these are the type of games that open the window or the door um for a team like chelsea or a team like liverpool um to really make it a race yeah and like you said they they beat Brighton one nothing, which is Liverpool. That is, yeah, yeah. Liverpool. They they have a gr- they had a great start to the season. They're three for three. They have not given up a goal, which is huge for Liverpool because last year their defense was horrendous. They were beating teams because they were 
outscoring them, but they had a lot of defensive issues. They were giving up a lot of goals a game. So now like they they've scored, I think seven goals and given up zero in their first three games, which is huge. You know, they went out and signed Allison, the goalie from Roma, who yeah, was a huge that. signing. Um, so Liverpool, when they saw, you know, Man City tie one, one, they, they probably were, uh, were really, you know, excited about it. And, and they see a, an opportunity here and, the fact that they went out and they they won one nothing, which is something they weren't really able to do too much last year, is good because you know those are the games that really win you the title. Now, being able to beat teams one nothing. Now you tell me, does the scoreboard watching start this early? You know, I, in in baseball, obviously, because it's such a long year, 162 games. Um, they say you know you can't be scoreboard watching in in you know june in early june um is that is that the case in in english soccer and italian soccer no i think that um they they don't start that yet right now it's more about just like getting into a rhythm you know playing well together finding that chemistry because it's early in the season a lot of these teams have new players that they're trying to implement into the team um but you know you're trying to to strengthen and improve your mentality. And Liverpool last year was a team, like I said, that wasn't able to win games this way. You know, they they had they were winning games four two or four three or three one. You know, they weren't winning games one nothing or two nothing. And that's really what you need to win to win these titles because you know you you're not able to score three or four goals and you're gonna have to shut teams out. So for me, I think that's probably more than scoreboard watching that's what they're doing right now is just like figuring it out defensively figuring out how to win ugly you know and that's so, the most important thing so to basically to get into the right form this is what we talk about with with building that stamina and that that form that they need to get into so that when they finally hit their stride they're firing they're firing on all cylinders right Exactly. And, you know, another example of it is, is Chelsea, who beat um, Newcastle 2-1 away th- this past weekend. Them, now, in their case, they have a new code, difficult style to learn because it's so specific. It's um, It takes a lot of possession. It takes a lot of coordination between the players. I know that you'll mention the triangles because you watched the, the, the Juventus documentary yeah, last it's, year. It's, where, I right learned now, a lot like, from that. Exactly. Uh, sorry, so. a.k.a. Phil Jackson. Exa- yeah, he loves he loves his triangles. So anyway, it's a very it's a very uh, not tough system to learn, but it takes a while for the players to learn it. So, you know, they're three for three. Also, they already beat Arsenal, who's a, a team that they're gonna compete with for a top four spot. And now they have nine points out of a possible nine points. And that's good for them because while they're trying to perfect this system, which is going to take time, they're winning these games ugly and they're doing what they have to do to to win. So very fascinating uh, top of the title right now. With Chelsea, you tell me, and, you know, even for someone that's not an expert, um, you can see the difference in, in, styles of play between the rest of the the english league which is very physical um up and down uh in comparison to what sorry and chelsea is doing right now um is that you think that's well received by the english fan 
it's very well received by the Chelsea fan. You know, I'm sure it's received it's received well by the English fan too. See, last year they played under Conte, who is more defensive, more organized, more I don't want to say more organized because Saudi's system is very organized too, but more defensive, definitely more um, direct. You know, that's what I would say about all the English teams. Really, they they play very direct. You know, they're not. Um, they're not passing the ball back and forth just to keep possession and just for the sake of keeping the ball. You know, they're they when they have the ball, they're doing something with it. You know, they're trying to score a goal every single time. Like that's that's the English style that's very uh, prevalent in the Premier League. And Saudi's style is not like that. It's um, like you said, a, a lot of possession base. They will pass the ball back and forth. Um, instead of trying to kick it upfield and, and risk losing it. You know, they See, want to keep I the see, ball as much as possible. I feel as if, uh, you know, not a Chelsea fan, but let's just say you're a fan of Man City or Liverpool or whatnot, um, you're going to be upset when you're playing Chelsea because of this, this, well, Man because City, of this style that they're playing. Man City plays very similar to Chelsea. Guardiola came from Barcelona, so he came to right from Bayern Munich, but he like made his name with Barcelona, and obviously he pretty much invented this style of like you know quick short passes and quick movements like and things like that. Right? Yeah, tiki taki. Yep. So he 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 kind of invented it, and he's coaching Man City. So they brought it to the league really last year. But with Man City, if you saw the first year that he last year was the second year, the first year he didn't do well. You know, I think he finished in the top four. Um, but the team didn't come anywhere near close to winning the title because it took about a year for the team to get going and learn his style. And then last year, they just they killed the league with the style. Um, it's very different from what everybody else does, like you said. And, you know, it, it's I mean, it's definitely it's easier on the eye, I think, than just like, you know, kick and run, play direct. I think it's much easier on the eye. But at times it gets annoying, you know. It really does, you know. Yeah, I, that's, I remember, that's the like, point I'm getting at. Is that it, opposing teams have to be like, oh, again, we have to deal with this. This, you know, just get, yeah. <laughs> just make an attempt to, you know, push it ahead. Exactly. Even fans, you know, I remember there were times like in the beginning watching Barcelona when Guardiola first got there and they were implementing this style. I remember what being like, wow, this is this is great. Like this is so nice to watch. Like look at them the way they pass and the way they move and things like that. And then like, you know, year they have possession 80% of the time like every <laughs> single game. And like the other team really doesn't have a chance to do anything with it. It's It gets kind of, but right now for, for English fans, it's kind of new to the league and, and specifically with Chelsea because they're coming off of such a different style of play. And I think this suits their best players uh, better so i'm gonna be excited to to see it so i mean it'll, it'll make for it'll make for some interesting matchups as we see some contrasts in style um again you know we've we've said on this program often um this is going to be an exciting epl year um so let's let's jump in uh let's leave the epl and let's jump into syria ah, um which was has just finished week two of play um, and we'll start with the defending champion, Juventus, uh, with a 2 nothing victory against Lazio. What did we see in that matchup, club? Yeah, well, the game for them, the, their first game against Kiev, which is kind of shot, a very strong team. They, they, 
they have no weaknesses. You know, they're they're very good one through eleven in in their starting lineup. They even you know they have the best bench in Italy by far. They might even have the best bench in all of Europe. You know because they have legit two starting lineups. Um, they have one. They have two players for each position. So you know. Eh, I feel bad for Lazio more than anything because they had such a rough start to the, the season. They played Lazio, uh, Napoli in the first game, and now they played Juventus in the second game, so they haven't won uh, any of the first two games. But as far as Juventus, he's not scored yet, which is the only shocking thing. He had a great opportunity. I won't worry score. about it, to be honest with yeah, you. He's, he's people are starting one. to make noise because they're saying, oh, you know, is it harder to score in Italy than it is in Spain? Which, look... It's so stupid to say that because people just use stats for their own person. Oh, yeah, to, for, to create whatever narrative you want it to be. Yeah, I mean, for every player that comes from Spain and can't score in Italy, there's a player from in Italy that can't score in other leagues. I mean, look, you look at Immobile on, on Lazio. The guy scored, I think, I don't know if he scored 30, but it was close to 30 goals last year in Italy. He went to Germany and and he couldn't and he played for Borussia Dortmund. He couldn't score anything. So you know people just you know use the stats for their narrative. He will he'll score a lot of goals. I think right now with Ronaldo and Juventus, the one thing they have to work out is how to to fit him in. Really, you know, because they have to adjust their playing style to him. You know, it, it's a very weird situation. Usually, a new player is adapting to his team, but I think his, the team here really is adapting to him because he's that good. So, um, Listen, you know, I is, wouldn't is, worry. My point is this. He could go the entire Serie A season without scoring a goal. Once it comes to the Champions League, when the chips are in the middle of the table and he, you know, you're in the final, final four competition or you're in that championship game and he buries one, he's worth every dollar then, right? That's, that's what he's here for. He's here for you to win a Champions League title. Um, and the comparison that I'll make is uh, and definitely none of our listeners are going to know this at all. Um, a guy named Justin Williams in hockey. Um, and he played for the Kings. Uh, and his moniker was Mr. Game 7. And basically, he was on the team, didn't do anything during the year, rarely did anything during the playoffs. But when they got to a Game 7 in whatever series it was, whether it was Stanley Cup Final, Eastern Conference Final, Western Conference Final, whatever it was, this man put the puck in the net in Game 7. And that's why he was on the team. And I understand Ronaldo is obviously, he's much more than just a, a one-game player. But the reason Juventus spends all this money, um, it's not because they need him to, to win a Serie A title. They've done that before. They didn't need him for that. Um, right. He's here for Champions League, and he's here to, to score the most pivotal goals in the most pivotal moments. So he can easily and quickly silence people by scoring a big goal at a big moment. Yeah, I mean, look, I just mentioned their depth, and you know, I honestly believe that he could sit all 38 games in Serie A, and they would still win the title without him. So you're absolutely right. I mean, he's gonna—it's gonna come down to the Champions League, and in the Champions League, he's gonna have more opportunities to score because it's a competition where you're not playing other Italian teams that are very, you know, 
tactical. I don't want to really say defensive because Serie A has not been defensive this year at all. But um, they're very tactical and they're very organized in Italy. But in the Champions League, you're not going to have that, you know. And the other thing is, in the Champions League, you have to win. You, you know what yeah. I mean? It's you have to win the games because you want to get out of your group. Once you get out of your group, you want to win the knockout rounds. And so me- you, you have to go out and try to win, and you can't just sit back and play defensively the whole time because you really need to go out and try to win yourself. And you know what these star players do? And it's the same thing in every sport. Um, you can do two things. You can either you know, try to play the team straight up, and then the star player usually will torch you. Or you can say, I don't care what everyone else does. We're not going to let that guy beat us. And that, you know... That could be the case of what teams are doing right now. It just so happens that everyone else on Juventus is unbelievably talented as well, and they could equally hurt you as much yeah, as well, Cristiano exactly. Ronaldo. That's exactly what's happening. I mean, obviously, the teams are setting up to try to stop him, number one. And number two, like just the players on the other team also. I mean, this is exciting for them. They, they're getting to play against Cristiano Ronaldo. You know, who would have thought that? I mean, yes, Juventus obviously was playing against Real Madrid all the time in the Champions League. Roma, Napoli, those teams were getting into the Champions League, so they were playing against them. But, like, you have to think about, like, the the, the lower teams, the Chievos, the Parma, Frosinone, you know, the teams that aren't league. Those kind of teams, they're getting the opportunity to play against Cristiano Ronaldo. Like they're loving it, and of course, a defender is going to try to make a name for himself by being able to stop him and keep him scoreless. And also, there's going to be the fact that Ronaldo's going to press. I mean, he wants to score his first goal. Whatever he says, he could say whatever he wants, but at the end of the day, he's gonna he wants to score his first goal and get it off his back. You know, because everybody is like. Oh wow, Ronaldo's gonna score fifty goals this year. And now it's like, oh, he hasn't even scored yet. You know, when is he gonna score his first goal? So of course he wants to get it out of the way. So it's a little, it's a combination of both. You know, the the defenders want to stop him, and I'm sure he's pressing a little too much to try to get that first goal too. Now you were telling me uh, you know, shift gears a little bit away from Ronaldo. Um, you were telling me an interesting story regarding Juventus today. Um, that seems to be breaking and then uh being reneged <laughs> so why don't you, you you fill us in on that story with juventus yeah it was like uh, it's a crazy crazy story that Paolo dibala is about to be sold to real madrid for 180 million euros and there was this argentine journalist um who came out and and made this comment and uh, apparently the website that he claimed to work for, which is Olay, came out and denied that the guy even works for them. So I don't know who gave this guy attention. I don't know you know, where the story came from. I would be absolutely shocked if Juventus sold Dubala yeah, between mean, now and, and Friday when the transfer window closes. You worked this hard to get into this position to have all these talented players um, to prepare for this Champions League run and this Serie A, you know, league run. Um, why would you pivot and take a step back? Yeah, <laughs> so of course. It doesn't and make any sense. 
And if you look on Juventus's Instagram page and and uh, Dybala's Instagram page and Ronaldo's Instagram page, the two of them seem like they're best friends. You know what I mean? So I don't think yeah. you don't you don't want to upset your star player, the guy well, that you, you just already, signed yeah. by selling Dybala. You know, he probably wouldn't be happy about that because he'd be like, "What the hell? I just came here to try to win the Champions League, and now you're literally selling the second best player on the team." And he's, you know, he would not be happy about that. So, but, uh, it sounds like it's uh, not very reliable sources. Let's not, uh, let's not lose track of of the real message that should come out of this. Uh, famous Wayne Gretzky, Michael Scott quote: "You miss a hundred percent of the shots you don't take." Good on this this journalist um, because you know took a shot. What are you yeah, gonna no, do? I love. I love the move. <laughs> if he's right, if he's right, he's the, he's the guy that broke this story. If he's wrong, whatever. It reminds me of right before the transfer window was closing in Italy, there was like three different people that even though like Milan denied it, even though like all the really credible sources in Italy denied it, there was like three guys that were like, Milinkovic Savic is going to get sold from Lazio to Milan tomorrow on deadline day. And like they were like agreement reached between the clubs, like, like so confident it was a done deal. <laughs> and I love it because, like you said, if, if it happens, you look like a genius. If it doesn't happen, well, it, it was just another rumor. What do you want? So it's just, my sources were bad. So, so good for that guy. You know, yeah. he took a shot. He Keep made a name for shots, himself. Buddy. That's it. That's it. Uh, that's it. <laughs> All right, um, let's move on to something that's probably going to take the smile off of Claudio's face. Uh, Napoli Milan, AC, Napoli AC Milan, three-two uh, outcome um, in favor of Napoli. Uh, so Napoli started pretty strong so far this year. Um, what did you see in that game? Obviously, you know you watch it from a fan's perspective. Yeah, well, Napoli, like you said, they started very strong. They. So they played Lazio in the first game and Milan in the second game, which are two very, very tough games to start the season with. They fell behind in both games. They were down one nothing to Lazio, came back and won two one. They were behind in, to Milan in this game, two nothing, and came back and won three two. So they're showing a little bit of that mentality that helped them get to ninety one points last year, which is you know you have to be able to come back and win games. You have to win when you're not playing at your best. And they've done that over the course of the two games. I saw, you know, they they are able to turn it up another gear when they have to. And that's what they did against Milan, unfortunately. Now, as far as Milan, I thought they played very well. They kind of died out um, around the 60-minute mark. And, you know, the fan in me wants to say that it wasn't very fair because this was Milan's first game. Their first, Their real first game got postponed because of the uh the bridge collapse in genoa so yeah. they they were playing genoa that week and um so their their game got canceled because they didn't want to have a game on the day of like all, all of the funerals and stuff from that tragedy so milan didn't play that first week when everybody else did and this was their first game and look in the beginning of the season one game makes a huge difference for for conditioning purposes for the the fact that you know you can go out and play a real game and fix things that weren't particularly done well in the first game so Milan didn't have any of that but that being said they were up to nothing and they should have found a way to 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 close out the game and this is a problem for them and they showed again that they're not really at the level that we expect and need them to be at because they're not able to close games like this 
in so. in the other direction though, Napoli is showing that kind of come from behind and never out of the game attitude, right? And this is something um, that they kind of, you know, last year they started out so strong and they had a, such a terrific season, but in the end, ultimately they fell a little bit short. Um, were, were you expecting a hiccup with the new coach? And have you seen enough to think that the hiccup's not going to happen? They're going to dive right into it. Yeah, I mean, I was I was a little confused because at the beginning of the season, a lot of people were writing them off. A lot of people were saying that Inter was the second best team, which, look, Inter has a very good team. They made a lot of great signings. But, you know, Napoli came off 91 points. Like, you just have to realize how crazy of a number that is. That has not happened often in in Italy. And when it has happened, the team usually has won the championship. So, you know, they're like one of only five teams to ever reach 91 points. It's it's crazy. So they're a very, very good team. And they added a coach who is a winner. You know, he's not a guy that's going to come in and try to ruin everything and, and completely change things around. He's a guy that has won. He knows how to manage teams. He knows how to manage players very, very well. That's his thing. Um, so he, I never felt like they were under any sort of trouble because they were switching coaches because of who they added. He is a guy that literally, if you watch the game, the first one against Lazio and the last one against Milan, he tried to implement the style. It wasn't working. So you know what he did? He went back to to the the style that they were playing last Before year. Him, it was, yeah. you know, and and that's a, that's what a smart coach does. Adapt. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly. He adapted. He was like, all right, my stuff's not working yet. Go back to doing what you guys were really really good at. And they went out and they like switched, they switched on and, and they turned it up a notch. And that's why they were able to come back in both of those games. So I think that they're going to be around. You know, I don't know because Juventus is so strong. I don't know if they'll be able to challenge the way they did last year. Also, last year was very, very mentally draining for them because it was very difficult for them to get to the 91 points. But, you know, they're still a very talented team and they added a world class coach. So I, I don't think I, they're going away. I mean, I think it's kind of unfortunate that, you know, this resurgence of Napoli soccer um, just so happens to be running concurrently uh, with the even longer reign of Juventus. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, exactly. The, the parallel values um, to American sports is uh, the Knicks of the early 90s. Um, you know, they had some great, great teams with Patrick Ewing and John Starks and Charles Oakley, uh, Derek Harper. You know, the, the list can go on. Anthony Mason, um, great, great teams led by Pat Riley as a coach. Um, it just so happened, though, that their this period of greatness for them ran during the time of Michael Jordan. Um, yeah. And no one was going to beat Michael Jordan uh, and the Chicago Bulls. So, you know, I kind of, you know, from an outsider looking in, this kind of has that feel to it. Um, you know, Napoli is a great team. They they. In any other era, any other time, they would be a champion. It just so happens that it's running concurrently with uh, a, a much greater power. Yeah, that's very fair to say. I mean, I would argue that last year's Napoli team is one of the best teams, you know, ever to play in Italy. And um, you know, they just they ran into one of the another one of the best teams in Italy and won that one six 
championships in a row before last year and now has won seven in a row and added you know arguably the best player in the world so it's uh, yeah the timing is very unfortunate but they're they're a great team and i still think that they're firmly in second place i think they're a little bit behind juventus but i still think that they're uh, ahead of anybody else in the league now before we move on i just want to ask you a question here and you tell me what you what you think if you were if you were the manager, if you were the, the board, what angle would you take? I mean, obviously the year's early on, um, but Napoli's going to be in the Champions League. Um, do you think if it gets out of control, Juventus is, is you know, well on their way to win another uh, Scudetto, would Napoli kind of pivot and look towards the Champions League as maybe a competition that they can really try to push for? Yeah, I mean, I think they're gonna they're gonna try and and go as far as possible in the Champions League, regardless, because uh, their coach Ancelotti he has won a lot in the Champions League. You know, he won two with Milan. He won the competition again with Real Madrid. So he um, he knows the competition very well. He's not going to settle for you know what happened last year with Napoli, where they basically you know threw the competition away yeah, uh, <laughs> to compete in, in Italy. That's not going to happen this year. So I think they'll go for both. You know, I, I do. I think he'll he'll rotate the squad a little bit more than than Sadi did last year. He'll give some more people um, a chance to, to play and he'll he'll use more players in Serie A at least. And, you know, how they do, is it, it remains to be seen. And um, But he's definitely not going to, to play the same 11 yeah, guys every week. And they're not going to be waving the white one. flag when, once they get into that competition. No, definitely not. All right. Um, you know, we, we did it a little bit earlier with Manchester United and, you know, for, for both of us, obviously, we're not fans of either of any uh, English soccer team at this point, yet we haven't made a decision. Um, we thought it would be interesting to also do it for Syria and the Italian teams, um, and that is take a look at a different team every single week. Um, so we're going to start with Fiorentina. Um, randomly, we just picked them. Um, a little bit about these, this team. Obviously, Claudio is a little bit more of an expert. He's going to tell us a little bit more of the team um uh, about the team but again if you know this is an interesting segment if you're an english soccer fan you're looking to get involved uh in italian soccer um if you're an american fan you're not really interested in uh you have not really been well versed in the italian soccer teams maybe it's time for you to pick a team uh so you know uh, we think it's a, a a segment or area um that would be pretty useful for the casual fan that's looking to really up their uh their knowledge and their fandom of, uh, of Italian soccer. So again, we'll start with Fiorentina. Um, their interesting thing about them is that uh, they were founded in the 1920s sometime, um, and then they were refounded in 2002 after bankruptcy. Uh, yeah. So do you know anything about that? It happens to a lot of Italian teams, unfortunately. Even Napoli lives in the same situation. Uh, one team that... Came back to like, Serie A and Serie Parma. Do, do they me? go away for a few years? Is that what happens, <laughs> or do they, where they just fold, declare bankruptcy? No. And- so, so what happens when you go bankrupt is um, you have you to lose go like a monopoly, back. right? <laughs> yeah, keep going. I'm sorry. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much, you have to start from the bottom again. So, 
let's say they they were in Serie A at the time. If they went bankrupt, now you automatically go all the way to the bottom, and you know someone else can purchase the rights to the team and blah 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 and restart the team, and that's what happened with them. So they they had to go back so, down to the bottom and start start back up and work their way back up to to Serie A under new ownership. So that's no no easy task because it, I mean if you're starting all the way at the bottom, your revenue is going to be really really poor. Um, no one's going to want to, you know, let's just say it's like single A in comparison to the major, major leagues, um, or, you know, the minor league, you know, basically developmental league and rather than the NBA, uh, the interest in the revenue is not going to be the same from than the professional league or not, not that's not professional, but, um, not the top league. Yeah, it's very, it's very tough, um, to go through now the, the advantage have is they're very well known and um they're they're big brands so when they go when they go bankrupt and they have to be you know restarted and and someone else purchases them they're usually going to attract an owner that has very strong finances just because of the fact that the brand is so well known so once you have an owner that could that could finance the team it's a little bit easier to get back up the ladder, even though there's nothing you can do about the time because you can only get win one promotion at a time. There's not, you know, you can't, you can't skip that process, but um, you know, the, as far as putting a very competitive team on the field, especially for the lower divisions, it's possible to do with the, with the richer owner. And that's what happens a lot of the times with the, with these teams like Fiorentina, like Napoli, like they don't spend that before they get back up to, to the top level well you know just to give you, you a frame of reference and i thought this was the craziest thing that i looked at um in preparation for the show um you know we mentioned that manchester united was worth 3.1 billion well in 2006 fiorentino was valued at 156 million yeah do you realize the disparity between 156 million and 3.1 billion <laughs> that is yeah. a wild and and it's <laughs> and it's very crazy and i don't think they're worth you know that much more today to be honest with you so uh the the gap is very very big and that's why you know Serie A is behind the premier league in terms of uh finances you know the teams in the premier league are just worth a lot more money because of the tv deals and stuff but you know we can go into that uh during another episode but as far as fiorentina they're you know they're a very very historical team in in italy they um a lot of great italian players come through the team right now they have probably the best italian young player federico chiesa on their team he is um an attacking player and very very fun and exciting to watch and someone that italy is pretty much putting their hopes in for the future well my uh you know, my issue and, and why it's a non-starter to root for this team. Um, not that I have anything uh, against this color, but um, their color is purple. Um, their nicknames are uh, Viola, which apparently means purple. And, yes. and again, don't make fun of my pronunciation, but uh, Gigliata, which means lilies, which I think is a very, very strange name for a sports team. Very, very strange. Well, it's because of the Fleur de Lis. That's the that's the club symbol. So but still, that's why. But still, Lilies, like, what are we, daisies <laughs> weren't available. I mean, I've, really, flowers are not, like, I've never seen a team called the Roses, 
You know what I mean? It's um, it's it's straight. There's so many different animals in the world. You had to pick a flower. Yeah. Uh, well, I don't know about that, but the huge rivalry with Juventus. Fiorentina fans and no, Juventus that's, fans. It's been probably been pretty terrible. Uh, does it real? Is it really a rivalry if one team just gets beaten like a uh, a rag doll? <laughs> well. I guess so, but last year Fiorentina sold Bernardeschi to Juventus and the fans were not happy with the club for doing it and they were not happy with him for going to Juventus. It's historically not a great uh, transition. Roberto Baggio. Do you know who Roberto Baggio is, John? I do, I do. I do. Okay, yeah. so he's one of the best Italian soccer players of all time. Played there in the nineties. He played for Fiorentina. He played and in the ninety four World Cup, right? Yes, yes, he when was he probably the Brazil, best player in right? that tournament. Yeah, yep. He missed the penalty kick, but anyway, he um he played for Fiorentina and then went to Juventus. Broke the hearts of Fiorentina fans. They hated him, but the club right now is in a good place. They're not going to be competing for. the for titles year in and year out, but they're kind of that mid table situation in Serie A where they're probably finished top 10. You know, they might be able to push uh, to make the Europa League spots, you know, every, every now and then they might even surprise you and get to the champions league spot. They did in, in the past, you know, they've been in the champions league in the past 10 to 12 years. So, uh, not the worst club to root for if you if you're um, looking well, for a team. If you studied abroad in Florence, which a lot of people do, you know you probably left a Fiorentina fan. So a lot of a lot of girls that studied in Florence, I are, are Fiorentina fans. Well, I did not study abroad. I'm I'm just going to go on a quick tangent right now, um, and you know buckle up for this one. Um, and I feel like a lot of the people that listen within the soccer world, um, they kind of feel this way. Um, I have bad news for you. Uh, you know, you talk about Bernadeschi, you talked about Baggio, you talk about a guy like Iguain. Um, these are basically players that are, are demonized after they leave teams. These, the players are not at fault here. Listen, they owe you nothing. They really don't. Uh, they're going to make the most amount of money possible. And it just so happens that there's a few select teams, like we just pointed out, Manchester United makes three, has a value of 3.1 billion. Fiorentina has 156 million. Manchester United can afford to pay more money for these types of players. Uh, There's nothing against these players for going to play for these teams that can afford them. Now, if you're a rival with this team, I can understand why you're upset. But at the same time, your your rival is in a better financial situation than your team is in, so they can afford to pay these players more than what your team can afford to pay. So it's not the player's fault. It's your team's fault. That's it. It's really That's really the, the bottom line. If your team was good and if they had more money, they could afford to pay these players. Well, Fiorentina fans would would actually agree with you because they don't like the owners because the owners don't spend money and they sell their best players. And and the fans think that Fiorentina should be towards the top of the league with the Juventus and Napoli's and the Milan teams um, instead of being in the middle of the pack, really, because you know historically that's that's where they should be. They've had great players. 
but you know the team is is uh, constructed a little bit differently nowadays. They have a couple of uh, great loan players. Marco Piaca, who's on loan from Juventus, is another very exciting young forward. Uh, Giovanni Simeone, who's one of the best young strikers in Italy, plays for them. Chiesa, like I mentioned before, um, last year, tragically, their captain, uh, Davide Astori, passed away. They play. They came together and played very, very strong for him down the stretch, and we'll look to do that for the rest of this year. So, you know, they're they're an interesting team to to watch for. I kind of like them. You know, I don't. Let's uh, let's give them a them. an American sports comparison. Do we have one of those? An American sports comparison for Fiorentina. Let's see who's someone that's like, you know, somewhat competitive. Not really ever going to win the title, but like will make some noise. The A's, Oakland A's. Is that is that fair? Um, you know what? Small market. One, you know, I kind of pounded on the fact that they don't have a ton of money. Um, but when well crafted, they do put together a good product. But they're never going to win. You know what? That's a good. That's a good comparison. Yeah. Um, um, that it, yeah, I, I'll, I'll give you that. You know, because the um, you know the A's are the type of team every few years, not every. Uh, I'd say like uh, for every ten or so years, they'll put together a, a, you know a strong team, a good strategy. Um, they're not overspending for players; they're building from within, um, and then they'll go on a run, and then ultimately they'll fall in the ALDS or ALCS to a big market Red Sox or Yankees. Um, and you know that's just the way the cookie crumbles for them. Um, they're they're always going to be uh, you know a bridesmaid, never the bride. Yep, exactly. So that's pretty much where where Fiorentina is. They'll make the Champions League every now and then. They'll make the Europa League every now and then. Not going to win any championships, but young, exciting players who eventually, unfortunately, move on to bigger teams. All right, absolutely. Um, so uh, episode 14 is in the books again. Uh, we no, just it's won. not because Go ahead. <laughs> through the misery of speaking of Milan, but you didn't bring up Inter who tied 2-2 to Torino and is off to a bad start. They, they <laughs> lost their first <laughs> You really couldn't let us get throughout the they show without tied, mentioning them. <laughs> Listen, they're supposed to be Scudetto contenders, so to, to not talk about them. So they have one point from plates as well in Torino and they're five points behind Juventus and Napoli who are the Scudetto leaders and surprisingly Spal who is supposed to be in the relegation fight has six points as well and is tied for first place in Serie A so kudos to them they're off to a great start and uh, they have great light blue and white striped uniform so I Ooh. also like watching Spal play all right. Um, let me ask you a question, and we'll end on this. Um, so you have a brother and a father that root for Juventus. Um, so obviously your family, um, you have that rivalry within your family, uh, Milan, Juventus. Would you rather, if one team could not win a game for the rest of time, would you rather Juventus not win or would you rather Inter not win? <laughs> well, the funny, the good thing about Inter is they give 
me, my father, my brother, something to root against because Milan, <laughs> fan, Milan fans don't like Inter and Juventus fans don't like Inter. So it's it's that's the good thing about Inter. If I had to pick which team I would never want to see win again, it would easily, easily be Inter because, look, historically Milan and Juventus have been, even though there's there's war in my house, they're um, his, on, a, on a bigger level and bigger terms, I guess, they actually don't really have much of a rivalry that as you can see for the past two years they make transfers with each other you know Bonucci this year Higuain um they've always done that historically usually like Juventus is is the big team in Italy and, and like Milan lets them be the big team in Italy you know and then Juventus Milan does their thing in Europe with the Champions League so they kind of always have like a mutual respect for each other but they both don't like Inter and I would gladly accept not seeing Inter ever win anything again. Should I should I tell them the story at your wedding about your um your <laughs> wife's family? All right. So uh if you if you give me the go ahead. If not I'll cut it out. <laughs> or, or, we, or, you, you, we might want to save that for another another episode. All right. So we'll so we'll save it for another episode. Um I, you know what that's what we call a tease in the business. Next week <laughs> I will tell you the story of uh of at claudio's wedding uh his wife's family's uh response to the ac milan anthem being played um so (laughs) you're gonna want to hear this one so you gotta tune in next week um so episode 14 is in the books uh we appreciate you guys listening again follow us on twitter at c 11 at calchojo5 at idiot expert pod is the twitter handle for the podcast um again DM us, you know, reply to some of our comments. Again, you know, we're going to be trying to tweet a little bit more, especially during games, um, and, uh, you know, ask some questions so that they can be answered on the podcast. Um, you can find the podcast now on soundcloud.com, and the, uh, the address for that is soundcloud.com slash idiotexpertpod. Again, soundcloud.com slash idiotexpertpod. Uh, you also, in our on our Twitter page, you could find uh, the link for that. Um, you can also find us on Anchor, and you can always find us on iTunes where you could subscribe and rate, uh, and it would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Um, so until next week, uh, everyone have a good one. Bye bye now.